You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Matt Bronger live at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. If you're not familiar with Matt, he's a phenomenal comic. He's incredibly warm. One of those people you could just, no matter how successful he gets, you'll just always get the time of day off him. He's such a warm, lovely person to uh, uh, to be around and a phenomenal comic. It wasn't until after we recorded this that I, I saw him properly headline a show. I'd, I'd seen him live. I've heard his albums. He's got a couple of albums on uh, uh, Spotify, which I really recommend. He's just someone who who has a complete... He's like... um. I tried to write this in the show notes, but I couldn't quite articulate it. He's like when you see, if you ever watch any mixed martial arts, you'll sometimes get someone who just goes nuts on every style at once. And he's like that with an audience. He's he's just, it's joke after joke, after tag, after act out, after idea, after fresh idea. And uh, it's just a joy to watch him. I saw him close a phenomenally strong bill, uh, which included people whose profiles were higher than his. But he was one of those guys where he just walks on stage and you go, oh yeah, this, we're going to be absolutely fine. Um, So uh, all of that to come, just a little uh, nudge. My my show end of is coming to the Soho Theatre on the 9th, 10th and 11th of May. So if you've not yet seen the tour show and you're not going to if you're not going to see it in the autumn leg, which is uh, later around the rest of the country, the northwest and Scotland, I'll be doing that some more uh, in autumn of this year. But this is going to conclude the the first leg, the spring leg of the tour is going to wrap up at the Soho Theatre on the 9th, 10th and 11th of May. So do come along to that. You can get your tickets at SohoTheatre.com or follow the link at the website ComediansComedian.com slash tour. Do come and see that. And thank you to everyone who was at the Plymouth show last Saturday night. It was probably my favourite thus far. Uh, really so much fun and such a great audience that I really recommend comics listening get in touch with the Barbican Theatre in uh, in Plymouth they've got a, a 150 that I was in and I believe they've got a 350 as well so um, uh, go there it was great the people were great I'm still high off it it's fantastic so now enough about me let's get into this conversation with the very very warm and very very funny Matt Bronger Matt, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Appreciate how it. many times have you been at South by? Ah, uh, this is probably my seventh time. Okay, I think. yeah. And how long have you been doing stand up? Let's get a picture of if who I, you are and where you I, are. I, in your I, career. I realized yesterday I've been doing it twenty years now. What? Since I first tried it. Yeah. Okay. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's bananas to think of. But 
I've been doing it professionally uh, for about 11 years, though. Okay. You know, since no day job. Okay. Of All yeah. of that in Los Angeles? Uh, no, I was in Chicago for six years before L.A. Um, uh, so I, was, I, I started doing comedy in Chicago, but was not anywhere near making a living at it back okay. then. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And how long, so how long did it take? You've been professional for 11 years. It took like nine years of solid slogging to get professional or yeah, nine I years mean, of here and there? I, here, here I, w- I wouldn't even say like slogging because it's just, it's one of those things where it's, it's funny to me where people are just like, I'll give uh, LA or, or stand up or, you know, uh, anywhere you want to go to start out in like a big city like London or, or um, you know, New York. It's like, I'll give it like three years. And it's just like, it's yeah. like you either give your life for that or you don't, you know, to, to comedy in a sense. Is that, if yeah. you really want to do it. I think, I think I agree with you. And I think that, but there is also something really nice about like, do you feel there's something nice about being someone who's 20 years in and when people ask you for advice, you can say cool shit like that and go, you've really got to give your life to it, guys. Because you've <laughs> well, got it that. Sound, it sounds very samurai. Don't get me wrong. It's not that noble of a fucking calling, pardon. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's also one of those things where you do it because you love it. It's not one of those things you're ever going to succeed at if you're like, well, I'm good at it. I'm going to make millions of dollars, but I fucking kind of hate doing it. You know, like you do it because you want to do it, sure. you know, forever, in a, in a sense. And did you always want to do it? Did you have yeah. aspirations as a kid? Yeah, I, I was an I, I, I was an only child. My parents never had another kid. I'm an only child, uh, and uh, I said was. Um, I, I, I'm an only child, and was just an attention whore, and uh, you know, like uh, class clown. And I didn't really. I was making, trying to make jokes before I knew what humor was. I would just watch people laugh, and I'd be like, hey. I have a joke, and people are like, what's up? And I'm like, what's purple? My mom told me I said this, and she's like, what? And I said, nothing. And I was like, ha, 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 and I <laughs> fell down. Like, did I, did I do it? Like, I really wanted people to, uh, to think I was funny. And, and thankfully, I have, I have hilarious parents, so I kind of just absorbed that from them okay. and, uh, and, and, and took, that, took that in. But I think it's, 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 I was originally a very pretentious actor. I went to school for acting oh, and I okay. went to Chicago because they had black boxes like we're in now where they're doing all this cool experimental theater. And I, I couldn't really break into it. And to be honest, I didn't really try that hard either. Uh, I was partying a lot, but I fell in with improvisers who I was waiting tables with and bartending. And then they were like, try this. And that kind of opened a whole new world up to me of, of playing off people and also uh, uh, making the part of your brain that um, uh, helps you make things up on the spot uh, as big as possible. So yes. That was... That. Yes, okay. And that I think that's kind of... that. I'm not surprised to hear that kind of improv background mm-hmm. when I think of your stand-up, which is very, very rich and kind of limber. Thanks. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like you're yep. someone who's like, there's a punchline, and here's 20 other punchlines after <laughs> it, which don't even, they don't feel like written. They don't feel like clever ideas or kind mm-hmm. of extensions of an idea. Yeah. It's more like there's a funny idea, and you're just in it now and, in, and kind of enlightening yeah. it. Well, I write on stage. I'll write down an idea, and I'll kind of just pontificate on it. Generally, I, my whole thing is kind of like storytelling. I'll say something that happened or, or um, uh, describe uh, something that was told to me that they saw or something. But as I'm doing it on stage, the more and more I do it, I'll save little buttons and little jokes that I made up then. But I just yes. – I made them up then, but I save them. I don't know how people write down an entire uh, routine. Have I, you ever tried? Uh, oh, I hate it. Any Anytime, anytime I have to – like have to do a TV appearance. Poor fucking me. Anytime I've done an, like a TV appearance, you have to for standards and practices – 
uh, you have to write it all out. And I hate it. I hate writing out all my jokes. But even that, that I mean, that's writing out something which already exists and that right. you believe in. And you know, yeah, it's, it's just funny. transcribing. It's sure. Like, so, but have you ever tried to sit down and write a joke on a blank piece of paper? Wow. Like from scratch? No, I don't think so. Not I, even I, at the beginning? Yeah, no. Actually, when I thought about being a comedian when I was like a teenager, I remember I wrote out a whole page uh, and then I found out that the open mic is a bar and I can't get in anyway. But I wrote this whole thing out and it was horrible. Do you remember just, any, can, do you remember any of the jokes? There was a joke about how, like, uh, like I, I have sex with my dog or something, where I was just like, that's a weird thing to say that people will laugh at. And it's just like, no, people will just be stone-faced because you're a child talking about having sex with a dog. Sure. You know, like, and it... it I knew great, how to be great, funny. Great moment for those two people to walk in there on. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you here for the bestiality panel, yeah. guys? Let's be ourselves, everyone. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, but it was... I, yeah, so that was the only time I ever tried to write out a joke. Um, I'll write down a thought that I think is funny. Okay. So, in a sense, I will, but never, you know... I've just never been like a set em up knock em down guy. If I think of... Meaning, like, a write a line and the next line makes the first line hilarious... Um, like uh, like uh, Anthony Jeselnik is a genius at that. Sure, but uh, that's just never been my my bag. You know? Yeah, I mean, I find I, I I do most of my I do most of my best writing on stage. I do uh-huh. write stuff down and find it terribly difficult. We were talking last night about um, having like a kind of kind of a collection is the wrong word, but you know, having like a private list of my favorite opening lines, kind of collecting yes. other people's lines, not to use ourselves on stage. I told someone about this no. conversation earlier on well, and they were like, what, you steal and, lines? No, and my wife was like, I don't understand why, and she works in the comedy biz. My wife is actually my ex-manager. Uh, we cross lines you're not supposed to cross and it worked out. Um, but we, uh, and, it's, and it's great because now she doesn't rep me anymore, but we give each other advice and okay. things like that okay. and we look out and we root for each other and it's great. But, she was like, what do you, why do you, are you just in your head? Why do you have all these people's openers? It's because an opener is, 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 I wouldn't say it's paramount, but it's very important to get people to almost immediately know who you are and to uh, decide whether they like you or not, yeah. in a sense. And I think, you know, most times audiences just like you because they want, you know, they, that's what I always tell young comedians. Like, they want you to win. Like, nobody's like, oh, I hope this dude fucking bombs. Like, ever, ever. You're just like... Yeah, because the experience of watching someone bomb is awkward awful. and painful for the it's audience. It's awful for everyone. Yeah, right. You feel so bad. But, uh, uh, so that's why I love ones that oh, open open them right up. Like, I think number one, I, I think is still, there used to be this bar in in, um, in L.A. called Dublin's, which was just like the, the, the hottest place on the strip. And uh, Dane Cook, like, ruled the roost back then. It was like early 2000s when I first moved to L.A. And every comic that went up in front of him, ahead of him, they're just, people are just like, I don't care, bring on Dane. And it was a very, hit, a very attractive young group. And Burt Kreischer comes out and just big and chubby. And he just he grabs the mic and goes, oh, I just took a, a, I fucked it. I'm laughing at it as I'm saying it. He's like, oh, I just took a shit so messy I had to wipe my legs. What's up with you guys? <laughs> And it's just, see that? You're like, it's so gross, but you're just like, okay, anything else you have to say, I'm on board, because that is horrifying. Sure. You know? Uh, uh, but it uh, also, it kind of redefines the room. It redefines absolutely. the game. They laughed, laughed despite themselves. Sure. They're and like, I don't as- want to laugh at that, but I am. Uh, Solomon Giorgio uh, might, might be tied for Burt's. I won't keep going through him, but he, he used to come out on stage and say, I'm African and gay, which means I can make AIDS from scratch. See, but you're just like, oh my god, that's so brutal. But you can't not laugh because of its brutality, and sure. because he's just being open about 
something, you know... Uh, like he's, he's owning both of the most negative stereotypes of those two yes, aspects. Like, correct. there it is, I'm in charge of the exactly. conversation. Exactly, yeah. and then that's exactly it. Now he's in charge. That's yeah, yeah. really cool. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, um, about taking responsibility for your own failure, which I think <laughs> is something that, like, that, that kind of permeates your material. A lot Absolutely. of your stuff is stories about environments in which you fucked up yes. and, and done embarrassing things. Yes, sir. It's a very funny story on, uh, on your Portland album, your most recent yeah, special on, on Spotify. Yeah, um, it's called something like a, a, a violation. A horrible violation. A horrible violation. Yes. And it's effectively, it's a story about you accidentally putting your fingers in another man's mouth. Yes, I fully digitally penetrated a man's mouth in a museum by, by, by accident. Uh, and like the whole kind of bit is how we have to be aware of our surroundings and interact more, where I'm that person who, if I, if I can, I'll slip behind someone and you know, like try to just juke them a little bit rather than go, excuse me. And I think we do that. We find these spaces and kind of see if we can you know, slip through them without having a human interaction. And in this case, my mother was like, where's your father? And I said, without looking, I said, I think he went that way, like two fingers (laughs) like that, right in a dude's mouth, like past the lips and just (laughs) like made the choke noise. I felt like his teeth and his tongue. Like I know things about that guy I shouldn't know. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm basically doing the bit now, but it was this, and I whipped my hand out and just wiped my hand, which seemed disrespectful. And I was like, oh, like a long vowel sound. That's your apology for ruining this man's mouth. And the guy, his, his eyes were blank and he, he, he put his hand up late and covered his eye. Like he's something broke in his mind because that's what, I mean, that's literally what shock is for. Like no one here is ready for that. No one's. You know, just like, this is an enjoyable, oh, my God. Like, that would ruin at least your month. You'd have nightmares. And it is. That's why it's called a horrible violation. Yeah, yeah. It's not a turn of phrase like so, that was. So to, to unpack what's going on there, in fact, you know, that is a really funny story. It's a really Thank funny you. bit. What I love about it is it's about nothing. Do you right. know what I mean? It's, it's not about anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it is like you could... You can have that experience, and you know the text of that experience is, "Oh God, I accidentally stuck my fingers in someone's mouth." Yes, Ugh. like that's the end of the story. Yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. the actual. That's all the actual material. Mm-hmm. But you then, and even more so on the album, when in proper performance mode, yep. you ring, joke, like laugh after laugh after laugh, and like you take that basic idea, find what's funny about it, and it's almost like every beat that you say afterwards. It's not, yep. you know, some comics have tags where it's like, "This is a funny, clever joke." And this tag yep. shows us an ev- a different version of it. Yep. It's not even really like that. It's mm. just so many little kind That's of body me. shots. You know, That's, I, I'm I'm realizing the more and more I'm kind of on a lot of levels always afraid. And I think a lot of us, I think all of us are on some level. Call it existential dread, whatever it is. But I have so many stories of where at the time it was absolutely horrible, <laughs> but now it's funny. It's literally tragedy uh, plus time equals comedy because, like, I mean, I my my most downloaded uh, jokes right now, I think, are um, the ghost of the two man party. I think that's number one, and two is wildcatting, and wildcatting is about a race or a bigoted woman who is screaming, and it's a horrible experience, and a, a, a kindly southern gentleman cop. Um, basically escorts her out. And it was not an enjoy... At the time, it was like, that was horrible, but telling the story is fun. Ghost the Two-Man Party is a better example because my friend and I in college, his mom was out of town, and we just decided to just get drunk by ourselves in the house. Like, it's so sad that we're not even gay. It's just two guys. And it wasn't even an evening. We're just drinking and hanging out and smoking weed, 
And then we noticed something got moved in the basement. We like went down there and there was like someone had made a bed, and okay. we're like, wait. And so we get like, a f- a f- I say in the joke, we, we got a bat. He got a bat. I got a frying pan. He got a machete. My friend was at the show when I told that show, I told that joke, and he saw it first time. He's like, no, 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 I had a machete. We went through the house looking for someone, couldn't find anyone. Decided ghosts are real, and let's go to bed. So we're like, hey, ghost, uh, uh, don't hurt us in the sleep. And we went to. We were so hammered and tired. We just went to bed, and the next day uh, we discovered a, a, a homeless uh, woman who was just sitting on the steps and just left the house. And the, the biggest laugh of the story is me screaming, she was in the house the whole night, the whole night, because you have that relation uh, with, 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 with that feeling. We've yeah. all had that feeling where something is, is, was horrifying or awful, but now it's over, so yeah. we can laugh. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, but it's also a huge portion of that is just relief yes you know like i i can tell that story about finger banging that guy's mouth because sorry couldn't resist um because it was so bad at the time and i was so ashamed of myself and i felt so bad for him yes and but and you are able to that it's it's kind of like a rich vein of comedy isn't it that you, mm-hmm. if you can stand there and honestly tell them why you're such a terrible person <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean but yeah. it, and it does does it cost you something no because it, it it's just like when you you know if you if you don't lie you don't have to remember all this stuff you can kind of just just tell tell the truth but that said i'm realizing i get little things wrong and you always in stories i feel like exaggerate on some level and so yeah. sometimes sometimes i take it up uh, a few notches but i i just try not to uh, you know share falsehoods at least cuz i was my my little joke with myself is the way you can tell a comedian is lying is when he goes he or she goes uh, when that happens do what I do it's like you don't do that like there's always something yeah you know. sure my one is anytime a comedian says this genuinely happened yes. you go, yeah no it didn't yes yeah. no it didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and and when people ask me like did that really happen I'm like I wouldn't make that up and say this this sure. happened I've thought about it I've thought about but it just it's just you wouldn't sell it as well. You know, no matter how hard you tried, I think. So when, you, like, in the story of the, uh, the, I'm about to use the words digital insertion. Sure. Um, in that, in that bit, is that is all of the different uh, tags on there, the description, those are all written on stage and saved, remembered, yes. improvised, spoken through, yes, and collated over time. I, yeah, I, I combined that in two other. Uh, bits one about a guy who I tried to slip behind him and he 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 reached back laughing and his hand slapped my face and he thought no one was behind him and okay. so then you know that and I basically got my face slapped for not saying excuse me and he was just like what are you doing and I was like I didn't want to talk to you and I walked away <laughs> and like I got slapped for being antisocial what? and and the, so then the then the then the the finger in the mouth thing is like it happened a thousand times worse before that so I should have learned my lesson by then and not gotten slapped and basically I ask I say I don't think I'm alone uh, do you guys when you go to a bathroom in a in a bar or restaurant you know hold, you know for a fact it holds one person do you knock or do you try it and most people if they're honest they try it. they give a little pull. And I just talk about how problematic that is and how that's my new frontier and I have to stop, I have to start knocking, you know. And, and I get into, there's a, there's a ton of little jokes, like you said, in that that are all over the place um, based on, basically, all that stuff is based on pure, pure anxiety. The anxiety of hoping no one's there. Like you, if you think someone, you, you want to wish them into the cornfield 
to quote an old uh, Twilight Zone episode. You want them gone. You know, you don't want any, and you want to pull. You don't want to have to deal with any human interaction. Um, and and on the other end, if you're in there and you're on the toilet feeling safe and you see the lock in the thing, anyone when they pull, no matter how soft they pull, it sounds like Jason Voorhees is coming <laughs> through the door. Friday the 13th. It's just, you know, it's, it's, oh, God. It's an anxiety attack. So, yeah. But, and are you, when you're on stage kind of playing through this stuff, are you kind of trying to pull out different premises? Are you trying to look at it from different angles? Or is it just that you're trying to convince people of your, it, it, you your know, feeling about it? It's kind of, you, you want it to be as entertaining as possible, so I'll try to, if, as thoughts come to me. But they're all kind of, I feel like we shape jokes the more we tell them, almost like, you know, polishing a stone or, or you know, sculpture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you do it and do it and do it and do it till it's just right, and then you kind of put it on the shelf. Uh, and, and, and during the process, I will say stuff that doesn't get any laughs, but that I thought was interesting, and I'll, and I'll throw it out. And um, I, my problem that I've had to fight has always been too much exposition, yep. where you got to get to the meat. you got to get to the meat as fast as humanly possible. That goes for a comedy, that goes for a script, whatever. In fact, I was kind of known for it. And one of my um, most painful honors I've ever had was James Adomian does an impression of me uh, which is an, a huge honor. Yeah, he did it on yeah, his album, incredible. and he did. He'll, but he'll just do. He'll he, and and it. It just. He's talking about like a, like a clown putting his nose in your butt or something, and it's just. I. I he's like right, right, clown, clown nose in your butt, in your butt, and it's all this. He's kind of up and down. Uh, I'm doing me badly right there, <laughs> but he did it really well, and I was just like, God, that's. I, I was. It was so good, I was embarrassed. But he would. He hasn't done this on stage, but he was talking to my wife about me, and he started doing me where he has a mile-long setup that keeps going nowhere. <laughs> and I, she told me that, and he, she's crying laughing. I'm like, oh, it's so true. Because I just want to share. I share too much. Like, not awful things, but I don't really smoke weed. But when I'm high, I will tell you. I'll tell everyone. I'll buy, like, a beer and be like, thanks, I'm really high. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And the people look at you like, it's great, and I'm glad, you know. But it's just, I just want everyone on board with whatever, yeah. you know. And so. then another one, another uh, skill set of yours in particular is uh, is act-outs. You're a really oh, physical performer. Mm-hmm. And I, something I find when I'm doing an act-out is that like that's quite a good writing place for me because putting yourself in the moment, it kind of it sort of frees me up creatively right. to, to add stuff. Do you uh-huh. find that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and and I feel like that that's how you kind of take people uh, to a, to a different place. You know, you give them a um, uh, a couple characters that often they can they'll remember they haven't uh, met in their lives. Um, so you kind of play them, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of act outs and, and and characters here, but not not necessarily like one. Like, like I don't do a character like like Adomian does. Sure, you know, or people sure, sure. doing well. Like, even just like even when you're doing an act out of yourself, like watching Ryan Gosling in the shower. Sure, for example. <laughs> yeah, you know that's like you're really you're really kind of in, enlivening it, making it very very vivid. They're very evocative acting. Yeah, I'm looking at what would you be his midsection or his groin because yeah. I'm just like that, which is a weird, a really weird personal place to stare at somebody uh i i remember i did um i i i had an i had an audition when i auditioned for mad tv they we did this script that um uh ike barinholtz wrote i believe and uh they i i basically it was it was two guys it's, it's a genius sketch but it's two guys 
who are working together. And the one guy's like, so what did you do this weekend? He's like, oh, mountain climbing. Uh, wow, how's that? Oh, it's pretty great. What about you? And he's like, I tried that gay sex. You, <laughs> you know, and the whole bit is they're talking about, and he's like, really? How was it? He's like, you know, it's a, different, but not bad. He's like, with who? And he's like, uh, Julio from the stock room? Really? Oh, wow, okay. And then the other guy, the guy who's, who's hearing, he's like, really? And he gets just kind of, well, um, uh, do you ever want to... Try it with me, or and I was the guy getting asked. Yeah. And I remember in the audition, the other actor I'm playing with, I was like, "Huh, all right." I just stared at this <laughs> weird part of his body, and I went, "Yeah, all right." You know, like what? What? What made me say yes? Sure, his hands, sure. his waist. It's just a weird. I'm not looking at his face. I'm looking at you know. Yeah. And that I rem, that's I took that for the. Um, the, the whole bit I do is about Har- Harvey Weinstein's line with women was uh, "Want to watch me shower." And I get into a bit of how that's just not a, a female thing I've heard of. And I do this whole bit about women talking when they're drunk. and be like, oh, he's soaping up his dick and nuts. I can see how bald he is. His ass is flat, but it still jiggles, not in a good way. Kind of making fun of male bodies. And I say if Ryan Gosling walked up to a woman, uh, you know, and, and he was like, hey, uh, want to watch me shower? She'd say, um, can you just fuck me? That's really weird, <laughs> me watching you shower. And then I say, but if Ryan Gosling was like, bro, want to watch me shower? I'd be like, yes. And so <laughs> I'm just staring at this weird place going, wow. So this is Matt. He's a joy to talk to. One of those ones you can just hear the sunshine radiating from him. And we will go on to talk a bit more about happiness and where he draws that happiness from. We'll talk a bit about his faith and we're going to talk about uh, how he plans his material. So lots more uh, classic com-com stuff to come. A um, couple of things to mention before we go any any further with the interview. There's no insider stuff on this. There's no extra content. But if you would like to hear this episode ad-free, then by all means, join up at the Insiders Club. Uh, you can find that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Support the show with a regular monthly donation and you get ad-free episodes. You get extra material from most shows. Not this one. It was live and we uh, we started a bit late, so we just bashed through the whole thing in an hour. Um, coming up soon, though, Beck Hill uh, is going to be on the podcast next week and we've got some great extras from Beck coming up, not to mention some recent stuff from Deborah Francis-White and a couple of people have been in touch uh, to say how much they enjoyed the Deborah Francis White extras because she basically gives us the world's best tip on how to smash any interview. <laughs> and it's one of those things that once you hear it, you're like, oh God, why, why did I think of that? So uh, if you fancy joining up, it's comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Thanks to everyone who's, uh, who's joined up in the last week or so. I've got a couple of um, welcome emails still to send. So that's all of that. As I mentioned at the top, uh, the Soho Theatre Show is 9th, 10th and 11th of May. Um, also booking ahead sometime in June. I feel like the week of the 17th of June. Do not miss Sam J at the Soho Theatre. Go to SohoTheatre.com uh, for tickets for that. I saw her at South by Southwest and she was extraordinary. I, such an accomplished comic. So much to say. And, and just I was absolutely creased up and crying with laughter. So look out for Sam Jay at Soho Theatre as well. Um, and if you're going to be at the Secret Welsh Festival, the Secret Welsh Comedy Festival this weekend, come and see my, my tour show end of on the Friday night. And there are still some tickets left for the uh, the live ComCom that I'm going to be doing with Josh Widdicombe when plucky Josh Widdicombe returns uh, after. Let me, has it been seven years? I was chatting to... Nish about this. Has it been seven or six? I think it must have been 2013 he was last on the show, which makes it six years. And he's certainly been up to some stuff. 
since then. So um, you can grab those tickets at maccomedyfest.co.uk. M-A-C-H, Mac Comedy Fest. Oops, I've revealed the identity and location of the Secret Welsh Festival. That's enough of that. Let's get on with this one. Remember, you can get in touch, info at comedianscomedian.com. You can uh, tweet me at comcompod or follow the Instagram at comcompod. Also, um, yeah, that'll do for now. Let's get back to this conversation with Matt Bronger. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Is, is any of that stuff planned? Like, if you're, mm. if you're writing it on stage, what do you walk on with when there's a new bit? Like, how, uh, much, of, like, how much of a kernel of an idea is it's, there it's, to work with? It's kind of, it just starts with, like, a point I want to make, in a, in a sense. I feel like the, 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 best, the best thing you can do in comedy is have a, have a point of view. You want people to know exactly who you are and uh, uh, what, what you're trying to share. It, it's, it's, it's ironic, but a comedian who just goes out there, and who just... You, you have to get laughs. That's the job. But if you're getting out there and you're like, I don't care what I say as long as I make them laugh, it's like you've failed. Uh, that's, that's what I tell all, all young comedians. It's like for advice, other than do it as often as human pos- humanly possible, is do the things that make you laugh. Don't look at an audience and go, oh, they'll love this. It's not exactly my jam, but I'll say it. You know, like yeah. do, do you. Do yeah. what, um, what you find funny. Yeah. Which is how you end up doing material about uh, <laughs> about tattooing the face of someone on uh, on a scrotum. Do you remember that bit from Portland? Tattooing a face on a scrotum. Oh, really? I have a if face on a scrotum. I have a bit about. I have a. I have a bit about uh, a tattoo I got on a dare in a, a pool different hall. Bit, different, different bit. Different bit. Different bit. Oh. Yeah, and what I love about the bit is that you're. It's so dumb. It's such a dumb idea. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, do you know what I mean? But no, I know. Like, like you've got like some of your material does have a kind of political consciousness. Like, do you know what I mean? It's got a political conscience. I, I'm definitely a, the, a lefty for sure. Sure. And yeah. the Weinstein bit is kind of framed within being a straight white guy trying to actually address some of the stuff. Yeah. In a way that is yeah. more apparent on the album than necessarily in this. Well, it's not, and, and it's 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 more it's more just. Um, where, you know, how a lot of guys about the Me Too movement are like, you know, a lot of guys are scared. It's like, not all of us, Chad. What did you do, man? Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, but it's also kind of men have to, the, the larger lesson I feel is just you have to uh, uh, reach a reckoning with your past and uh, um, do, I believe what in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say uh, a fearless uh, exploration, I believe mm-hmm. it is, uh, and and kind of go through and go, oh, what what have I done? And, and um I think every guy has some some darkness toward women they've had. Mine was get very drunk and just annoy the shit out of them. And I tell a story about that, just hitting on women in a bar. And and so that's that was that's how I, I kind of got into that for me. It wasn't necessarily like me being a, a, a straight white male, um, but but yes, because that is what I am. 
Does sure. that make any sense? Sure. Yeah, uh, because I, f- I feel like right now there's there's such a, a stupid little backlash by certain straight white men who are like, sorry, I'm straight and white. And it's like, no, shut up. Stop. Like, you're just doing the thing that 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 um, is annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you should just, you know, talk sure. about what you really care about. But, but I'm really interested in, in, for you, when you say you've got to, like, have a point of view, uh-huh. you don't necessarily just mean that as a kind of, a political point of view, right because on. like no. in the and I'm, I'm I feel perturbed that you don't remember the incredibly vivid image that's seared on my mind of someone having a face tattooed on their scrotum. Wow! But it's like it's such a it's such an abrupt left turn. I forget the exact way you get into it. It's like so people tell me comedy's hard, and I'm like well, it's not that hard. But I tell you what would be really difficult would be if you had to tattoo. You know a, what? I made that up right then. That's right. I was like, that's. I, that really, oh, there wasn't a pre-existing. No, I just bit. was like, I thought of what the hardest thing to do if you're a tattoo artist is tattoo a perfect, uh, uh, like representation of someone's actual human face on a scrotum. Well, because it's like, what do you do? You stretch it out like a bat wing, and then you let go, and he's old. You know, but if you do it when it's just that, you stretch it out. What kind of your face is that? It's weird and fat. Yeah. But, but it's really interesting because, like, that somehow has a point of view, yes. even though it's nonsense, even though it's just mm-hmm. daft. Yes. You're saying it with a point of like you believe in the thing that you're saying, and I think right. that's that's an interesting distinction to make between feeling like if you say to a younger comic, you've got to have a point of view, uh-huh. it'd be easy to hear that as if to say, oh, you've got to be the guy who yeah. believes no, this. No, and, and, and I don't mean te- te- tell ever, tell everyone exactly who you are with every joke. No, sure. I think every every joke has kind of got to have a point of view in a sense. So amongst your, I was kind of my, was making a bit of a list of things that I think you're, uh, you're really good at. It's Thank zeroing you. in on the, the details. Like the idea that you can, somewhere, uh, there's a British comic called Sarah Pascoe said on this podcast mm. literally six years ago. <laughs> but uh, she said, uh, if you can describe something in enough detail, you can make it funny. I would agree with that. You know, uh, I had, I think I might have told you this, uh, at, like, this weekend, or, like, I think maybe last night a little bit, how basically, um, uh, I, when, I, I, when I ran, I ran a, a comedy show out of a bar in Chicago, which is a great way for comedians to just get stage time, you know, you book other comedians and you mm-hmm. do time in between them. Uh, don't do too much, but you can open with, you know, a good 10 minutes or whatever. But I was the guy who just went up, went up, didn't do well. And so I went up and I didn't know what to say. I didn't have a joke ready. And so I just decided to list facts about Wolverines. So I was like the Wolverine pound for pound, uh, is uh, the most tenacious of all North American animals known to, uh, drive animals as big as wolves or even bears away from their kills. And it got a huge laugh because it was so random, you know, and specific. Okay. To her point. Okay, yeah. okay. Because mm-hmm. when you're when you're describing stuff like the uh, the horrible violation, sure. You know, you're. I'm just wondering, like, if you wanted to help someone get into the same rhythm that you have, as yeah. like, you know, not to copy you as a comic or your yeah. style, but just to help people kind of um, access that profusion of ways to describe something, uh-huh. like to make something that is that on the surface of it, the text of it, like we said, isn't necessarily that funny. Right. But to draw the comedy out of something. Yeah. I, I don't even, I'm not quite sure what the question is, but you're really good at wringing a lot of laughs out of a very simple or silly thing. Mark Maron described me as like a puppy who won't let go. Yeah, right. right. I, take, I take the joke and just, just shake it around in my mouth until it's just rags, for sure. Uh, and did, uh, does, because, that, does that mean that sometimes, like, does that mean that the performance we see 
is the best one because in previous performances you've taken it too far into a kind of <laughs> not funny anymore. Uh, you know, Eric. maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it possibly. There are times where I just kind of go on some tangent and just go, oh, i got to go back on course. But it, you feel like comedy is... It, 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 timing is everything. So yeah. if you if I take people too far off course and I try to go back, they probably won't come with me. Sure. So I have to kind of stay the course and try not to be too superfluous, which is which is not always hard, but has been hard for me in the past for sure. And let's talk about your relationship to an audience. Who do you think we see when we see you on stage? An exaggerated version of myself, I think. Okay. Uh, I think you see me, but I think and 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 uh, but it, I'm kind of in. Uh, in a sense, f- uh, funny guy at, at, at a party mode, in a sense, okay. who's telling you stories and, and everything. Yeah. And, so. and do you feel that you have a particular angle? Because mm. one of the things I kind of like about you as a comic is that I sort of don't see you as the that guy or the this guy. Right. It's just that you're funny. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it would serve me well uh, if or better if I was like, uh, I, oh, I'm that guy. You know, sure. Like he's always on a horse or something. Where you're just like, <laughs> that, I don't know. That old gimmick. <laughs> that, yeah, that <laughs> gimmick, you know. Uh, and, but but I just, I, I never went for what's my brand. I kind of just talk about the things that make me laugh. And that's kind of it. Have you ever, like maybe kind of like five years in when, you know, that point in a comic's life when huh. your peers, some of your peers start to streak ahead? Right. You know, some of them sure. like you're, you're, in, sure. you're in your zone and then mm-hmm. there are other people who gave up and maybe others are like, bang, TV show. Yeah. Did you ever want to try to contrive some sort of angle that was more, more yeah, tangible? Ab- absolutely. I think one of the, the trickiest things is what do you name your new special or your album and stuff sure. like that? And there's nothing... That's really I'm I'm kind of nerdy. I'm definitely a dork, but it's just I don't want to be you know. The, the, oh, you're you're that you know. I mean, God bless Burt Kreischer, the machine. Like sure. that's him. But it's like I don't think everyone needs to have that. That would be that'd be like a weird, crappy band of superheroes if we all had like a nickname. Like all of us just be kind of like all right, like yeah, okay. annoying. Okay, yeah, and I find it, it's interesting when you say naming a special. That's a really good example of mm-hmm. it. The other one I think is like photo shoots. Yes. Some people, they go like Jim Jeffries. You go, right, okay, this photo shoot yes. is going to be me with a, a woman's high heel on my dead head. As sure, I yeah. Something's that, on fire. Exactly, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think for people who are, who are less tangibly marketable at a right. specific thing, maybe right. it's harder to... Yeah, and I, I think that's why you just don't overthink it. Name it whatever you want to name it. You know, uh, and 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 you're never going to have the the perfect thing. Like my first record was called uh, "Soak Up the Night," and I made it look like a Bob Seger album cover because uh, that sounds like an old classic rock album or something. But all it is is a joke about how uh, people drive drunk to get Taco Bell to soak up the night. Like the end of the night when they're wasted, it soaks it up, and that should be their slogan. But you know, you don't yeah. get that from the cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, there's an opportunity. Uh, I'd like to make an opportunity for people to ask Matt questions if, uh, if anyone has any questions. Uh, what, <laughs> I'm happy if... Uh, okay, so while you're having a think, uh, there's a lot more I can ask you about. Okay. Um, let, I'm, this isn't even a question. I just wanted you to talk about the IKEA detective. Because oh, I was just hearing about this earlier. I, on, I, I was it. on a show that my friend um, uh, Dave Seeger created uh, called IKEA Heights, where we uh, illegally filmed a soap opera inside of various IKEAs. <laughs> Uh, using their furniture, and uh, I played Detective Mathis, who is like an angry cop 
who was always slamming down phones and knocking chairs over. <laughs> and to me, it was a horrible neighborhood that I hated. And so my catchphrase was fucking Ikea Heights. I just say that. And um, Randall Park was in it, who's on uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, a lot of good people were on that show. But we had people whose whole job was to distract the staff while we filmed. And... <laughs> Uh, we'd film from these little cameras that look like a, like a Nikon, like a, um, a snapshot camera, but it was a, it was filming. And we shot a Halloween one where we had people who were zombies in IKEA uniforms, eating people and stuff. And I'm just shooting, you know. We and we edited the sound. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really have a gun in the thing, but I've been kicked out of every IKEA in Southern California. Uh, except with the exception of Burbank, they just built a new one, so I never got to that one. But and to, the, to IKEA's credit, they were very kind to us. I mean, we could have gone to jail, but they had our pictures up in the in every office and be like, "Watch for this guy." Um, and uh, and it's fun because there's like one where I'm I'm an old old man. I'm reading to a child, and it's a guy playing a child, and he's laying in the kid bed, and I have like a Santa beard, and and I'm like, and that's the end. And you hear a guy go, "You can't film in here," and I'm like, "Huh?" And that's the credits right there. And it's not available. Can we watch that? Yeah, yeah, somewhere? it's on Channel 101. If you if you just Google IKEA Heights, you can you can watch any of them. Um, I'm from the in the second episode on. I think we did about eight episodes. And I, I'm glad we did it, but I hated filming. It was pure anxiety. I'm just worried all the time. You blow a line, like, fuck, let's go again. They're coming. You know, you have to get it oh, okay, down. Okay. And it, Yeah, I hated it so much. Um, but in a, uh, the last time we did it, we got walked out by a cop. And they're like, next time you guys are going to jail and whatever. You know, or next time we're going to arrest you. And thankfully, we were, we were done from there. And Ikea issued a statement. They're like, though it is very funny, we cannot condone yeah. on any level. That's nice. You know, it was really awesome of them. It was really mellow uh, and, and, and chill of them. Uh, and I, I give Ikea all the credit. I have a, several things from their store. It's a very handy place to go. But... Yeah, they didn't. They didn't go after us. They didn't sue us. They didn't demand it be taken down. It's still up. So that's cool. It's really they could cool. Very easily have taken it down. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Sears would have thrown <laughs> a book at us. You know. Okay. Do, do we have any questions for Matt? Ha, no, but uh, I did shoot a scene, I think, where I was eating meatballs. And so it'd be like, all right, we, all right, that guy came in, we screwed the tape, we got to eat some more meatballs. I'm just like, oh, come on, I hate this. Yeah, so I think I ate them on camera, yeah. I'm here. And off the top of my head, early influences would be uh, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Madeline Kahn. Um, I don't know Madeline Kahn. She all. she was more of an more of an actor than a, she wasn't a stand up, but she, okay. Mel Brooks used her a lot. She's oh, in Young sure. Frankenstein okay. and Blazing yeah, yeah, Saddles, yeah, yeah. and I loved those movies as a kid. And I I was so knocked out by her that she was gorgeous, but it didn't even matter because you noticed that she was hilarious first because she would just play these absurd. I find some people are surprised when really good actors are funny, and I'm not because all it is is kind of commitment, and she would commit so hard to someone being completely absurd um like in blazing saddles uh and 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 so anyway that was a huge one then uh i would say in modern times um i would say maria bamford brian regan Patton oswalt um i I started out with kyle canane and he's like still like my brother and and we 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 had a thing back in chicago where we um we did a show called the the lion's den which was a legendary open mic and you just sign up you get 5 minutes and like 30 comedians would get on and there were nights i'd make it there after they rang the bell and after they rang the bell you can't sign up and i'd be crushed but our thing was 
you know, supposedly like how, how <laughs> this is vaunted, but how McCartney and Lennon tried to outright each other. Uh, and so did the members of NWA, myself, Kyle, Hannibal Burris, Pete Holmes, Camille Nanjiani, uh, John Roy. We were always writing new weird stuff. And there's a guy named Dwayne Kennedy who we looked up to. He was like, he was like our Elvis. He was like our Aretha Franklin. Like, well, I'll, it's, it's, it's reassuring to watch someone and be like, I'll never be that good. And I remember Dwayne went up after me. I mean, he had, he had, he would do a joke about, about slavery and kill. Like the hardest topics he would do. And he was, on, he was on Letterman three times, each time with a glass of wine. Like, that's, he's such a cool cat. But he followed me at the Lion's Den once, and he was like, oh, you going to make me follow Matt Bronger? Shit, this, now this is going to be hard, or something like that. And I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt anointed. That was that moment where I was just like, wow, he thinks I'm funny. He thinks following me is hard. That's, that's what's, big. What's that so, guy's name again? Dwayne Kennedy. Okay. He's written on a ton of shows. He's had a ton of development deals. He just was that guy who never really had a ton of ambition. Mm-hmm. I think now he's trying more, but yeah, get his albums. He's, he's so funny. He's brutally funny. But um, yeah, he's not someone who, you know, he's, he's, like, he's like Mike Lawrence, who is a yeah. brilliant comedian, a brilliant writer, but doesn't really care about being on camera. Yeah, you know okay, what I mean? okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, that, that list of names of you and the people that have started at the same time, Kumail, Hannibal, yeah. you know, there's uh, Kyle, there's a lot of people there who have either sort of big industry success right. or, like, big, cool credibility. Sure. Oh, and of that group, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like you are keeping up with them or do you, how do you yeah. feel your place is Yeah, because comedy? I can still do, uh, you know, I can still do a slot on any bill and, and do as well as any of them, generally speaking, hopefully, kind and, of thing. And, but is but, stand-up all you want? No, no, I still want to uh, do acting and get stuff produced and hopefully someday direct and, and things. But, you know, all those guys I mentioned are doing technically better than I am. But I'm just happy for them. I, I, and like I said, they, they have their place. Uh, I have mine. Okay, you know? so this is the million-dollar question. Shoot. How do, how do <laughs> you stay that happy for them? When com- uh, comedy is seething with envy, yeah. you sound like yeah. you've got a really good mental toolkit for being... Like that idea of going, okay, Dwayne... Sorry, Kennedy? Kennedy, Was it yes. Dwayne uh-huh. Kennedy? It's reassuring to look at someone and think, I'll never be that good. Huh. I've never heard anyone else say that. Normally you hear I that did. there are the, the Dwayne Kennedys, the Daniel Kitsons. Yeah. People look at them and go, oh, what's the fucking point? Huh. You know, like a much more negative way of thinking about it. Right. It, it, well, that was when I was starting out and the, 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 the pressure was completely off. And I think that's why all those people I mentioned, you were all kind of like, wow, whoa, whoa, wow. Because we started out without any, I won't say role models, but any hope. Like, we all did comedy because we loved it, and we'd do it at, like, bars. We None of us were ever let on a stage at Zany's, the one comedy club in town. I mean, occasionally, John Roy was the only guy who would play clubs because he had a car, and he would drive out. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and we just would do it because it was fun, and we didn't know if it would ever lead to anything, but we just, because there was no pressure starting out, and I think that's a note young comedians or, you know, comedians of any age who want to try it, uh, is just don't just take the pressure right off you, right off yourself. Because and I, like a lot of what I'm saying is very positive. I was jealous of all those guys for sure, and I'm still jealous of comedians uh, doing better than me. But I think that's just natural, and you kind of just you put it aside. And and it's it's not it's not the number one emotion when I, I think of when I think of them because them succeeding. It's just it just it paves the way more for me. Uh, hopefully, you know what I mean, and and we're 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 buddies, so maybe they get some big thing that that put me in like sure, you know sure. the little bellboy role or something. I don't know, you know, yeah. So you never know. 
So do you have any kind of like negativity? Do you have any kind yeah. of upset? Do you have oh. long dark nights of the soul? When- Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, I wake up at night and uh, my dad said something brilliant where he was just like, you know when you wake up and that voice in your head telling you you're not worth anything and there's no point and you've made horrible mistakes in your life and what is wrong with you? I don't know if there's a devil, but if there is, that's him. And that's like the thing I always kind of tell myself when I'm driving myself crazy is just kind of let it go. This, is, this, this isn't, uh, uh, it's not helping. I say this all the time. It's like life will kick the shit out of you. There's no point in you doing it to yourself. I still do. I still get mad at myself a lot because I make terrible mistakes a lot and, and uh, bad choices. But, it, you know, in, in, the, in the end, you kind of have to be your own cheerleader in a sense. You, you have to root for yourself. Um, and, and, and I, I, I say that, but yeah, I, I have an, an inordinate amount of darkness inside of me and sadness and, and, and anger. Uh, but at the same time, generally speaking, I'm a happy guy because I get to do what I, what I, what I love for a living and I can never be grateful enough for that. I have a fantastic wife who says mean things to me that crack me up. Uh, and, and I just, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm, it's, I'm 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 happy, you know, and and I, I've always been kind of a happy person, but now I'm not only happy, you know, I can I can I can be a little bit proud of myself, yeah. not necessarily for my career, but for my marriage and sure. for for my uh, outlook a little bit, and and doing, I swear to God, I didn't mean this as a plug, doing my podcast advice from a dipshit where people call in and leave messages for advice and I give them advice and we're getting so much amazing feedback yeah. that's positive about people making better choices and, and things. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a pretty good place. But I, I still do. I, and like a month ago, I had what I thought was like a mental breakdown where I was so angry about stuff not going forward, like projects in the business um, that would get to a certain point and then, then fall by the wayside, get passed on. Then I got some bad news on the phone, and I went to take the trash out, and I dropped the, I dropped the bag of trash, and I pick, went to pick it up, and I hit my head on the fireplace mantle, and I screamed, and I swung the bag against the wall, and it exploded, and tomato sauce went everywhere from a broken spaghetti sauce uh, bottle, and I just yelled this primal scream, and I just broke down crying, just a grown man screaming and crying in his living room. And I called my wife and I just let it all out. And she listened to me like a champ. And it was just, it was perfect because then I felt so much better. Yeah. You know, one of the best things about being a comedian, we don't have to bottle things up. We still do, but you know. Yeah, I'm tr- that, you're one of the happiest comedians I think I've ever spoken to. <laughs> which is <laughs> all to, an act. Which, well, it's not to denigrate or, or kind of diminish, obviously, the darkness and the anger yeah, and, the yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But you do, sit, I'm just sort of interested. I'm like, oh, we've got a test subject here. I've got to make sure <laughs> we learn as much as possible about this. So you talked about kind of gratitude. I think that's an important component of happiness. Yep. The ability to let it out, not bottle things up. Yes, sir. Um, you know, a fulfilling relationship, a fulfilling yeah. relationship with the fan base through the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. to feel that you're doing good in the world. Yeah. Are there any other kind of elements that spring to mind about how, like if someone was listening to this thinking, fuck, I'm, I wish I could be that huh. happy. Yeah. Like, what are the, you know, it's advice to young comics. What about advice to people, you know, from a dipshit, yeah. as is your uh, podcast sure, sure. title? How, how else should we live happy lives? I think, I think you've got to, f- <laughs> I'm sorry, follow your bliss. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think you have to follow your bliss. You have to follow you, what, you're, you're, what you really want 
to do. And don't I think we we, we overstate like you you you'll regret the things you you didn't do more than the stuff you did. But also you regret the things you didn't say to people. I feel like healthy relationships where you just tell people how you care about them or how happy they make you when they're around. You can do that in a really non creepy way. Uh, just you have to let people know, and, and I think that that helps your own emotional and lifestyle uh, ecosystem. It just helps you out too. Um, I've been. Oh, this sounds so bullshit, but it's true. I when I'm on the road and I'm bored, uh, or or I try to at least I try to block out some time to do volunteer work. It sounds like I'm making that up, but uh, it's a, it it makes me feel better about having six beers that night. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I feel like I earned it. And call that, that, call that Catholic guilt. Call it what you will. But it is selfish. I'm doing that to feel good about myself. Sure, I want to help people. That's great. But, you know, I'm not... I don't sit down with kids and read to them. I'm like loading boxes of diapers on a truck and I'm leaving. Like, good. I did it. I got my dumb gorilla grunt work done. Uh, or, or, or delivering meals to low-income homes. That kind of thing. Because it's... it's it, I feel like you do that. It's almost it's almost like you know I have a headache. If you have a headache, you you can hit that pressure nerve in your thumb, and your mind uh, thinks about the pain in your on that nerve in your thumb and stops thinking about a headache, and you the headache goes away because it's in your head. The more you think about a headache, it won't go away. The more the stronger it gets. I feel like when you do shit like that, you you forget so much bullshit. You forget all the dumb stuff you care about. And you focus on what's really important, like human relationships and taking care of yourself and having fun and giving yourself treats. That, that's, in a nutshell, kind of my, my secret, is to find that nerve <laughs> and like do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable or painful, but it's going to take the pressure off the other stuff and you're really going to focus on what matters. It's, you, you, you're not, you're not, you're never... I mean, I'm not impressed by. I'm I'm glad for so many, so many things I've done, but you're never impressed by your own credits. Sure. But other people are, and that's great. That's really cool. Uh, I'm I'm proud of a, of a lot of. Th- I'm proud that I've gotten guest roles on TV shows where the writers kept writing me into episodes because they. I guess I'm fun to play with, like a Raggedy Ann or something. Like they liked putting me in and again and again, and I got that on my own merit, you know. So and 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 I'm proud for. Uh, doing a good job on Letterman where he called me over the couch. There's, th- there's things I'm always going to have, uh, but the things I'm most proud of are not those things. You know, there's like my, my marriage, my relationship with my parents, with my friends, that the fact that I don't think there's a lot of people who are like, that guy's a dick. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And, you know? and what do you, just to, that's a, such a great answer. Thank you for that. Sure. What do you see, what mistakes do you see other comics making and like you think oh, it's not going to make you happy. Just yeah, the, the most your career is very important. But you know, I mean, I, I forget who said comparison is a thief of joy, but it really is. I mean, it's when you're looking at someone else's career, you're gonna be jealous. You're gonna judge why are they there and I'm I'm here. This is crap. But but just tr- you should know you you shouldn't you shouldn't lean into that. You know what I mean. Uh, just do the best you can and 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 find the things uh don't don't measure don't don't hitch your happiness wagon to just success sure have goals work hard all that stuff and 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 uh try to try to get there uh your damnedest but at the same time it's it's you know i always, you like they say you know what <laughs> They say the Bible says, uh, you know, what the big grandiose, what profiteth a man if he gain the world and lose his own soul? 
Like what what do you uh, what do you gained if if you got a, a Netflix special, but you're a miserable miserable prick? Like what have you gained if you are just uh, this awful sad person, but you got that that big thing? I mean, that's I, I I know I've met a lot of people who've kind of their whole goal was was money, and they're generally speaking not happy. You know? Are it's, you religious? Ah, uh, it's rough. I do. I. I just admitted to my wife that I pray at night. <laughs> this is weird, right? Okay. I, I, and she's like, what? You know, and we were having some drinks. We were just on vacation in San Francisco. And she's like, you do? And she was actually kind of, oh, interesting. She's she's like me, kind of a, an agnostic. I don't know if there's something there. Blah, blah, blah. You know, my, my wife is very no bones uh, about it, very businesslike, you know, very pragmatic, not the most spiritual person. And kind of neither am I, but... I my imagination was always captured by the idea of of a, a spiritual uh, almost I almost said overlord uh, yeah a spiritual That's the new album uh, title spiritual overlord oh what a dickhead title that would be oh might as well call it I'm deep um, it, 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 like an idea of a of a of a benevolent presence in your life. I always wanted something like that, and and so I I think I just I just I just would. It's 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 like Hemingway said, isn't it pretty to think so? I don't know if it's true. I don't, yeah. It probably isn't, you know. But it's I I I I talk to whatever that person or thing is, you know, and kind of mostly just say thanks. You know, it's it's rare that I'm like I want a Corvette. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be Lord. awesome if someone prayed for a Corvette, though. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so, <laughs> so much. So random. That's a fantastic answer. I won't, I won't say, I, I'm sorry if I misspoke, I won't say I didn't think I'd ever make it, but it, I couldn't fathom of anyone making it. I don't know how, I still don't know how people make it in the business when people ask me. Um, but I never, I never, I think it's, it sounds crappy, but I think if you have a fallback, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you can only divide your attention. I mean, you're dividing your attention from what you really want. There are always jobs you can do. But I think if uh, someone was like, okay, you, you, you can't be a comedian, you have to choose something else, I'd prob- my parents are, uh, are both teachers, so I think I'd get into that, even though I, I would probably resent it. And, and <laughs> thank God for comedy because it led me to therapy and led me to... Uh, help me! I would. I don't know. I just hope I wouldn't be that that angry, crappy teacher taking smoke breaks with a bottle of Jameson in his desk, but possibly. Uh, but I, I really, I really, I really respect teachers. Like my corny joke about my parents is they've been in far in front of far more bad crowds than I ever will. Honk honk. But it is true. It's 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 being that that presence that everyone focuses on. It's it's often a thankless job. So I don't know why I would want that, but I think I would be decent at it so probably probably a teacher you know how did comedy lead you to therapy what did you mean by that you just be through self-exploration and through uh trying not to immolate myself uh with with my own uh shortcomings and my own pain uh rick recognizing anytime someone's like oh i don't need therapy it's like well do you have anyone in your life you can say anything to anything at all I have someone in my life I can sit down and go, I just uh, fantasize about throwing a guy off a subway train. Who else can you say that to? You can't say it to your parents. You can't say it to uh, your friends. They'll be disturbed. You need someone who does not have a personal connection with you to just throw stuff at and be honest with, be completely honest with, and it just it just lets you kind of barf things out. And also, I think the most important thing in life is perspective. 
to not uh, uh, lose your mind over stuff, to just keep perspective and understand, like, this too shall pass, no matter what this bad thing is. Um, and uh, just kind of <laughs> the cold comfort that everyone dies, all of us. There's no person you should be jealous of that's like, I'll still be around. You know, there's no Methuselah who's 800 years old, oldest man in the Bible, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Dwayne Kennedy had a joke about him. Um, but I was going to ask, is that you've referred to the Bible twice? Is, is that, you it's random. Bible? It's just random. I just thought of Methuselah. Okay. Uh, Dwayne had a bit where he was just like, 800 years, and it, I can't do the joke right because I have to say the N-word. But he's like, man, last year, last 200 years, I've just been buying that N-word socks. <laughs> it's like the best. <laughs> just what do you keep getting him for birthdays? He's 800 years old. Uh, Dwayne, still the king. Uh, but... Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it just, just to, because because I would overexamine everything in my life. I I needed someone to kind of connect with. And shout out to to Alan. Alan uh, visited. <laughs> Alan couldn't see me during office hours when my now wife and I broke up. Your, and your therapist, Alan. My therapist. Yeah. Yes, he met me in a mall, and I walked around. I have a bit about it, but I walked around the mall crying, talking to Alan. And so everyone probably thought I was being broken up with. You know, like <laughs> like. That guy's dumping his boyfriend at the mall, and and I and it so so he he's been a, a pivotal uh, figure in my life for sure. Last question: What would you have? Uh, you can interpret this any way you like. What oh would boy. you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh, got it. I just realized uh, what it would bless you. What it would be? I think just off the top of my head, um, I oh, fuck, I'm doing I'm doing a shortened version of a bit, but it's 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 a true thing. I played a character uh, uh, called uh, Dr. Samberley, who was on a show called Agent Carter, uh, set in the 40s. And I was an annoying scientist who worked under Agent Carter. Agent Carter, you might know her as a woman who developed and, and became the, the lover, boy, girlfriend of, of Captain America. So she had her own show with uh, Haley Atwell, who's awesome, and I was on that show. And my character uh, was just annoying and and. Long story long, if you go to the Marvel Wiki, you can put in any character in the Marvel Universe, their picture will come up, a description, and their signature catchphrase. Now, Captain America's catchphrase is, um, uh, we're, we're, we're not here to ask permission, and we're way past asking for forgiveness. Earth just lost her mightiest defender, so we're here to fight. And if you're standing our way, then we'll fight you too. It's really strong. Adult and manly. My character, Dr. Aloysius Samberly, his quote is, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Which I love so much. Because no one who's doing well has ever said they're doing their best. No one who's killing it, you know? No one wins a gold medal. and went, I'm doing my best. Like, you'd sound like a dick. You'd sound like a jerk. He's, it's someone who knocks over every, every shelf in the stock room. Damn it, Samberly. I'm doing my best. So I just think it'd be so funny... If someone walked past a gravestone and said, Matt Bronger, 1974, to whenever I die, I'm doing my best just to have that on a gravestone. Like, you're dead. You're not doing that well, man. I, I, would, I would like someone to, to, to have a laugh when they see my gravestone. Thanks, man. Thank you, buddy. Ladies this was and great. gentlemen, please Thanks, join guys. me in thanking Mr. Matt Bronger. Thank you. So great, man. 
So that was Matt. Thank you so much to him for coming along. Do check out uh, his albums. I think his most recent one, on Spotify at least, is called um, Finally Live in Portland. Uh, and uh, it, it's so funny. He's just, you can hear how funny he is as he just, just conversationally. But um, it, it's an absolute joy to watch him. So uh, watch or listen to him. Lo- loads of stuff online as well. Um, go to Matt's website and Twitter. You can find those in the show notes. Um, by which I mean I don't have them at my fingertips, but, you know, they're in the show notes, right? That's easy. So um, that's that. Uh, thank you to everyone once again. Thanks to Charlie and Danny at South by Southwest. Thanks to the tech team and who looked after me and stage managed that show. And um, and everyone that I met and had fun with there. I've got loads on at the moment, so I'm going to bash on with that. I will have a tiny post amble at you in two minutes. But for now, thanks to Nathan Wood. Thanks to Jake Crossland, who logged the show, and podcast consultant Peter Dobbing. And uh, I hope to see you all at the Secret Welsh Festival. Uh, do feel free. No one, Almost no one does this anymore now that there's an Insiders Club. But if you do, if you're a historical listener to the show and you fancy doing the secret thing, then by all means, Mac is the best place to do that. I'm, I'm also going to get a load more of the, um, the T-shirts printed. Here's a question. You know the bees des- designed by Elise Richardson? We are almost out of them. I've been selling them on tour. And obviously, uh, I've got Edinburgh coming up and the second leg of the end of tour uh, after that. So I'm going to print a load more. Here's the question. Should they be the same? Should they be? I mean, obviously, the design will be the same, but I thought if they were a different colour, an equally good-looking colour, then it might... Um, that might be quite fun because it would mean that everyone who got in on the first raft of them has, like, a, like they can go, yeah, I've got the early edition. Is that quite a fun thing if I, like, come up with a different colour for them? I don't know. Uh, get on the Facebook group and tell me. And also, you can comment on this show and uh, plenty of others and set questions for forthcoming guests uh, over at the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. So please jump on that. And um, normally, if you ask to join that, you get added fairly quickly these days, I think. I hope. Um, some good some good conversations are happening on there as well at the moment. And someone else on Facebook, not in the group, but another comic, is um, uh, they're having that kind of, hey, what should we ban from comedy thing? That is effectively the new hack conversation. So I might contribute to that post uh, or indeed uh, crib that post and stick it in our Facebook group or get him to link it into that. It's Tom Ward. Very, very funny, Tom Ward. Um, and uh, there are some... I mean, it's going to turn into vitriol very soon. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> that's all of that. Uh, let's have a quick post down in a moment. But uh, other than that, I'll speak to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. So one of the weirdest things I caught myself doing recently, well, not weird, but ostensibly weird, weird to people on the outside, um, as my plane landed uh, on the return flight from Austin, Texas, from this lovely festival, um, I, uh, I'm i a bit scared of flying. And I, I, I've sort of gone through periods of being more or less scared of flying. And I think I had pretty much nailed it. I, I, was, I was over it. Um, and I mean scared in the sort of uh, I hope we don't have an accident kind of way rather than scared in the way that we should all be scared of flying in the way that us casually doing it is destroying the environment. Children's grandchildren, if they get to exist, will not thank us. But not that scared. I mean the more mortal danger immediately, holy shit, I hope nothing falls off the plane kind of way. I used to be very scared. And I've been through... I talked about this in a show years ago, Another Lovely Crisis, which was my difficult second show in 2011. Only a tiny bit of which made it to release. So if you didn't see it then, and let's face it, no one did. Um, 
uh, a tiny bit of it made it onto Princess Uncle Stew, my debut album, which used to be your reward for signing up to the mailing list. It may still be, because that was an auto thing I created that I don't think I ever did anything about. Anyway, there was a bit of material about precisely this, the fear of flying, and the way I used to cope with it, which was to imagine everything going wrong uh, on the plane. I would imagine the plane crashing. The bit, the scary bit for me was landing. And apparently that's... I can't, I've heard both versions. Someone told I'm sure a pilot told me that that's the most dangerous bit because when you take off, you're just facing upwards because you can't hit anything. And when you're in the air, you're just in the air. And then when you land, it's like you're coming towards an extremely solid, immovable thing, the Earth. And that's the most dangerous bit. But I'm sure another pilot told me... The point is that I was... Uh, I, what I used to do to get over my fear, and I know this sounds ludicrous, is I used to imagine in vivid detail all the different ways, <laughs> all the different things that could go wrong. Yeah, it'll never happen. But I used to do this and I still have to I catch myself doing it and try and stop because it's such a stupid habit. Because obviously, yes, you survived the plane crash, but not only are you doing something which is pointless and has no effect, but also you're sort of training yourself to constantly imagine the worst things that could go wrong. So then I, I, I sort of weaned myself off that. And what a long-winded thing this is. What I've started doing is looking at pictures, like kind of fixing at pictures or videos of my children as the plane lands. I don't know if anyone else does this. I just sort of invented it last time I flew. I was a bit sort of jittery and sleepy and a bit scared, a bit vulnerable. So I just kind of grabbed my phone in my hand and just flicked through an album of my brilliant, cute, gorgeous children. On the basis that, look, if I'm gonna, if this is going to blow up and it's all going to be over in 10 seconds, at least that's the last thing I saw. Plus, they're, they're funny looking and it makes me smile. <laughs> um, so, but then I realised, what does that look like to someone sitting next to me? <laughs> I mean, there is no clearer way of saying, I think we're all going to die. <laughs> and then just sort of obsessively scrolling through pictures of your children. Oh, God. That's awful, isn't it? It's, well, is it? Is it as bad? I mean, it's like, you know, if you ever sort of sat next to someone who's praying, have you done that? Someone's kind of murmuring a prayer and clutching some sort of uh, religious token. Uh, <laughs> religious token. Hand in your religious tokens for the afterlife. How many tokens did you get? Um, but they are sort of muttering or murmuring. That's quite unnerving because you're like, OK, they're, they're comforting themselves, I suppose. So you don't think, you know, they're not, maybe they're thinking... Vishnu, please make the plane not crash. I don't know if Vishnu's in charge of that. Um, maybe they're thinking, Jesus Christ, I hope we don't explode. Maybe they're just thinking, oh, here I am in my hour of need and you, deity of choice, look after me. Um, but I, looking at pictures of my children, I'm clearly going, well, it was good to know you. <laughs> so probably, so apologies, ultimately, if you were sitting next to me on a plane back from Austin, Texas, and uh, you realised that I was doing your head in. That'll do. Um, I've been away from them for two nights. I can't wait. I'm going to get the train home now and see at least one of them within three hours. What a lovely feeling that is. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.